Welcome to another episode of Lee to Be. Today, we have Corey in the house. That's Corey Burnsed, the enterprise architect at Adobe and a MarTech master with over 15 years of experience. But Corey is not just your tech-savvy professional. He's the MarTech master who's been weaving his expertise through the intricate landscapes of Marketo, IBM, Blue Wolf, and more. And now at Adobe, as a longtime advocate and subject matter expert for Marketo, he brings a brand neutral organizational architecture approach to making every enterprise endeavor a nuanced and strategic masterpiece. Corey is not just about bits and bytes, he's a communicator, a strategist, and a savvy navigator for the ever evolving MarTech realm. Get ready for a conversation about Marketo, Adobe, indie music, and a lot more on Lee2B. Hey, Corey. Hell yeah. I am so excited to be here. Let's just say that. I'm yeah, so excited I'm so to be excited here to talk and I'm to so excited to talk to you. So, uh, so that was quite the intro. I'm all thank pumped you. up now. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's that's what I do. It like I'm like so, so a lot of people I are people I've never talked to before or I've only just talked to them kind of on LinkedIn. So Absolutely. I'm like, I need to pump. I need to pump them up in the beginning. Get them excited to talk to me. Love it. Nobody wants to talk to me. But no, just kidding. <laughs> but so very first question for you. Come so on, when I hear- come on. Let me pump you up in the beginning. Everybody is going to want to talk to you. I've already listened to this podcast, so many episodes of it. You have style. You have a way of getting into the details with people. You have obvious a significant background that allows you to go in depth on so many different things, not just in business, but it seems like in just pretty much everything in life. You have experience, and that's important. <laughs> I wish I wish the people who were in charge of hiring thought the same thing because I've been unemployed for. I (laughs) completely agree, but save for some exceptions, most people in hiring tend to be a little burnt out. They tend to Mm -hmm. end up being kind of automatons after a while because they just have to deal with the churn of people all the time. And uh, I don't envy them. (laughs) I just do not envy them at all. I'm sure getting in it into an interview with you is probably actually great compared to all the stuff that they have to do all the time. (laughs) Well, well, I don't know about that. Getting someone with personality at all can be amazing. I've interviewed people before and sometimes brick wall personalities are just like, man, I don't want to do this job anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but you know, that's okay because I am not for everyone. Neither am I. Neither am Everyone I. Everyone is in I absolutely so. get it. <laughs> so, enterprise architect. When most people, probably outside of B2B, when most people outside of B2B hear architect, they think like the buildings and stuff like that. So, help me understand, help my listeners understand what is an enterprise architect? Architect. Well, architecture really uh, comes from being able to create and put together elements of really anything you're fashioning into uh, a, a holistic structure. So there's architects for buildings, and then there's architects for business. Uh, there's architects for all sorts of different things, but in particular, an enterprise architect is looking at flow charts. They're looking at spreadsheets. They're looking at combining different uh, MarTech platforms in a visual way. So when uh, they talk to the people they are stakeholders to, or vice versa, uh, they're able to communicate where data is flowing from one platform to another, where use cases for, let's say, sending emails, getting your forms filled out on your website, anything like that, how those things are 
connecting data into your systems and how it's going out to your holistic structure into your organization to enable potential opportunities to happen. So uh, that's sales, that's money. So the things that I do is look at the whole structure of software of an organization, try to understand where an organization is with their pain points in between all their different platforms, and then help come up with solutions for that and recommendations that can streamline their data, eliminate their manual processes of having to go through tons of spreadsheets all the time or things like that. Uh, I really try to make marketers' lives better. I try to make folks in IT who own these platforms like Marketo and CDPs and things like that lives better. I really try to get in and I'm not a salesperson. I do support Adobe Sales Org. I try to look at everything product agnostic, if I possibly can, and look at what the actual issues are going on with an organization, whether it's your data flow and where that data is flowing. And if you're having an issue uh, putting that into a segment, if you're having that uh, an issue creating personalization in an email or anything like that, I love it. Like in my mind, I'm a puzzle person. So when I think of these types of things, all these different platforms, looking at like flow charts and things, I love the thought of that. I, I mean, I came up on video games where I'm looking at maps. I'm looking at the, the map of Hyrule and trying to figure mm-hmm. out where Link is going to go next and where my journey is going to take me. I see the same thing in these giant organizational maps. Just where is the data going? That's my Link. Link is the data. Where am I going to get that guy to? Who do, what do I have to overcome? Those types of things. I've gamified the way I look at work. So it's very Do you remember the water temple? I remember do. the water temple? Remember how hard that was? The Zoras. Yeah. Like, so what is the water <laughs> temple of, like, some of the solutions you, you saw? Like, what are the crazy oh, it's, processes? It's CDP. Mapped? It's just CDP for everyone. Because everyone, the, the buzzword. CDP? For, CDP? The customer data platform. It's nice. something that you store all of your data and your organization in, and you allow it to create unified customer profiles. So instead of having all that data exist in your Marketo or your Salesforce or something that's supposed to be an activation layer or something of that nature, it unifies everything into one place and then it allows you to create segmentations. It allows you to create activation layers into different uh, platforms, not just connecting into things like uh, Adobe platforms because... Uh-huh. everyone when they talk to him they assume adobe but again i try to remain product agnostic even though i'm a giant huge proponent for adobe products because i've been using them literally for 20 years and <laughs> i can't say any uh i can't say enough good things about it and it's not just because they're my employer <laughs> yeah so i want to get into that but before i go that so i love the cdp point so how does cdp differ from a crm oh absolutely uh, the CRM is an activation layer where it allows salespeople to get in and look at analysis of salespeople, contact salespeople, add in new data, things like that, create segmentations. Everything they need to do when it comes to a CDP, that is more upstream. So that is uh, your upstream right in your marketing tech side and your IT department that is taking all of your organizational data and putting it into one place. Now, your CRM is a place where you want your salespeople to be able to touch that data. So whatever you want from your CDP to activate it, 
so folks in your organization can reach out and start touching base with these customers, you push it from your CDP. But the great thing about CDP, it's taking all of the data, it's unifying mm -hmm. profiles. So all these different data fragments that used to exist before CDPs were out there, everything that was ex existing in your Marketo, your old, let's say your, your MailChimp you used to use, uh, the stuff that's over here in your CDP, this social yeah. platform, these three social platforms you tried out, you got leads in them, but you never touched them again. Putting all that stuff into CDP unifies it and allows you to activate on all those people who have actually touched base with you and really allows you to get return on your investment because there's so much lost in, in tech debt and data debt to great ideas, use of platforms, money being used, and then the data and that just sits there and never is activated ever. So. It's a sad story, and I try to prevent that. This is I always found it funny that CRMs are called CRMs because you, you kind of, the way you, and I'm summarizing it, but CRM is very much for sales, marketing, customer data, relationship outreach. management system. <laughs> right, but it's called customer relationship management when mm -hmm. it's like mostly used for like prospect. I guess PRM just didn't have the same ring to it. I can't agree more. I mean, I started using Salesforce over 15 years ago when I worked at an online university for a very short time uh, doing like prospecting. So I, you, that's when I started like was understanding. Was it the University of Phoenix? No, it was. Because um, <laughs> there was just a little was... bit on SNL this weekend where uh, they had the disastrous um, college hearings. Yeah. And then they had Keenan playing the president of uh of the University of Phoenix, and it was just like, he's just happy to be mentioned. Sorry to interrupt, this is what I do, but. Go no, ahead. that's good. <laughs> oh man, I love Keenan too, so I'm gonna have to look that up later. While I was there, I got to look at Salesforce, and that's what got me first curious about these different types of like CRM technologies and stuff. It's one of the things that led me to working for Marketo, because once Marketo mm -hmm. came to Portland, I was like, I wanna work there, so. Yeah, so there was, there was obviously the ge geographic component of it but you've built your career it seems or a big part of it because you do so many things but you've built a big part of your career around marketo kind of similar to how i've built mine around hubspot like i'm a hubspotter how did you fall in, in love with marketo and be like yes this is my my focus i got, and I got bread to work there i i had <laughs> a friend who who worked there and said you may enjoy the type of problem solving that i do here I know that you're looking at doing, it's like I was going down, maybe getting into sales, Salesforce and working in sales departments. Uh, and in my degree that I was in, I was doing technical writing degree because I thought mm -hmm. I wanted to do technical writing and uh, things like that. But really, it, it, it was really because I had a friend who worked at Marketo and said, you know, I know you like Salesforce and everything, but you sh this connects into Salesforce, and I think you would have a lot of fun with it. So I got to work there. I got to go through all their trainings, which were the first time I ever experienced training that was so significantly in-depth and actually not only trained you how to operate a platform, interact with customers, but how to interact with your uh, everyone around you and how to be successful. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> It's like I'm going to college all over again uh, in this environment. And it really felt that way because I got hired with a few people who are around my age. And I was like, what? I think it was like 25 or something like that. So it was 
it was a good time to be getting hired by Marketo. Let's just say that. I've heard very similar stories from like HubSpot people where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, they were in Cambridge. I just graduated college uh, from nearby or I live there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you worked at Marketo, then took a break and then landed back up at Adobe. Yeah, I did. So I, I, I worked at Marketo and then for a decade did consulting. So I consulted at like, I want to say 15 different organizations, tiny and large, uh, depending on where I was. Um, and, and pretty much all that business was drummed up from people I knew. So mm-hmm. if this contract dried up, I was like, hey, friend, I, I knew you from a time. At I got made a lot of connections at Marketo. Let's just say that a lot of the customers who were assigned to me I became friends with because I like people. So all these organizations I knew who had a Marketo instance and that needed support on things. I was like, I'm free if you need support. Mm -hmm. And they would pull me in because because of a lot of reasons. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but I know what I'm doing. I'll just say No, we want you to. Well, I'll toot your own (laughs) horn here. Well, so I'm going to toot your horn here because when it comes to platforms, whether it's Marketo, whether it's Salesforce, whether it's HubSpot, Honestly, maybe even more so for Marketo. Um, there are people who can do these platforms like in, in like a snap, something that will take you hours to learn. Bam, we, we've done it. It's done. Or we say, hey, no, don't do it that way. Uh, let's do it this way. And, and bam, it makes a difference. So your client saw that in you. And, and that's what happened. It's just a, a, an ability to see... It's really strange because I've thought about it much before and I've talked to my spouse about it and it's an ability to not only see the macro, it's like see the big picture of things, but also be able to get into those minute details and go hard with the most tech savvy and IT savvy person. Who is Marketo for and who is it not for? And I know Ooh. it's kind of a, a leading or trickier question, but like there are organizations where when you're more enterprise it makes sense mm-hmm. to use a certain tool. Mm-hmm. And when you're more SMB or startup, then another tool might be better. It comes down to the process, the people. Uh, I want to say that first, but I said that already. So when, when it comes down to that, who should be on Marketo? Well, A to B, it tends to be B to C and B to B. So uh, it, it tends to be folks who are predominantly B to B. So enterprise style business there's smaller b2c style businesses that can use marketo successfully however it really is it really is an enterprise solution when it comes down to it i have used it with a extremely small publisher here in portland and after using it with this publisher i it was a very interesting learning curve for me where i learned Marketo doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Sometimes it's just too big and an organization doesn't have the funds, time, people to put behind initiatives that you can use in this software. So I learned a very, very interesting lesson in that to where it ended up being used pretty much as just a, like an ESP, an email sending platform. So it's like I could have just had MailChimp and not <laughs> yeah. paid fifteen thousand dollars or whatever it was a month or something like that mm-hmm. or a thousand dollars a month or whatever the small subscription was that i had at the time but yes it 
that it's definitely for certain types of organizations. And I tend to work with larger organizations. So that's what I usually recommend it for. You couldn't say this because I made you give a real answer. But like I say the best tool is the one that you're actually going to use. Yes. <laughs> Meaning the ones your your salespeople will use, the, the marketing people that you can get reports from, information from. So Marketo, HubSpot, Salesforce, I'm going to stick to them. It uh, doesn't matter. They're all great platforms, but if you're not going to use them, they all suck for you. That, yes. That's what it comes down to. Wow. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Even even using a portion of it is better than not using it all. And I've seen organizations let, I've, I've seen organizations let platforms like this literally just sit there, no one touch it, and they're paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just to keep it sitting there. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? It's like, you're, you're, it's like you're losing all this money right here. You're not getting any return on your investment. You're not accounting for this in your larger structure of your organization. And next year, you're going to lay off people because you were in mm-hmm. this. Exactly. That's what drives <laughs> me crazy. So one, as I'm, as a mops, yeah. as mops, MarTech person, it's like these companies have so many technologies they're not using and they're laying people off. Mm-hmm. Like that, I can't, I can't stand that. Like figure True. that out. It's unfortunate. It's a much bigger systemic issue in a lot of organizations, and it's not. It's usually something that's way too big for me to figure out. That's why I stick to the tech side because it's like the tech side. I can figure that out because at the end of the day, there's only so many solutions for your tech and to connect it and to do the, the things you want to do. People, people are the harder thing. Yeah, and there's a perfect segue to get into spill the tea with Lee. That's right. This is a sassy podcast for B two B, and it's going to get juicy. So this, depending on on your outlook on this, this will be the best or worst transition because we just were talking about Marketo. Now we are going to talk about UFOs. So Marketo to UFOs. So I know you have some theories on this, but this was a big year for for UAPs, UFOs. Last two, three years have. No one on LinkedIn was talking about it, but like I was watching the congressional hearings, maybe because I'm on LinkedIn removes a lot of the stuff that (laughs) that is posted about that things, and I think we both know why. I. I mean, I, I'm a kid who grew up with the probably the same things you did. I mean, we had plenty of sci-fi and things like that to really look towards as being like, that's the coolest thing in the world. Well, what if it was real? And uh, like watching X-Files and stuff like that as a kid really, really bent my, my mind in the way of thinking like anything could be possible. And unless you can actually prove it's not possible, then it's possible. So people who are out there government non-government official non-official doesn't matter who it is you're a human being on this planet you don't know and you can't say that they don't exist uaps ufos that's just objects things actually flying around we don't know what they are now on the other flip side of that is extraterrestrials quote-unquote aliens things of that nature that i don't even That's crazy. Like, that's absolutely crazy to me. And there's so many theories, and there's silly theories. They live in the middle of the Earth. They live at the bottom of the ocean. They live in the moon. (laughs) They live on Mars. They live uh, on a comet that comes by only once 100 years. It's like, for all you know, the person sitting next to you could be someone who's a shape-shifting alien. So it's like, 
let's not focus on those things that we are literally never going to solve right now because we have no evidence and focus on the things that we can see with our eyes. So it's like mm-hmm. when you have the Navy and when you have the government coming to the table uh, in Congress and to all these different committees saying, so we've seen things. We don't know what they are. They screwed up all of our systems that we've worked decades to perfect and they're faster than us and they turned off our weapons so it's like when things like that happen and it's the professionals who have decades of experience flying decades of experience working this equipment Mm -hmm. these radars and things of that nature it's like how can you not trust these people when you have more than one saying it when you have a whole group of people in the armed forces saying this type of stuff well, the reason Ooh. the reason Congress gives a shit now and why stuff's <laughs> happening is because Congress realized there's missing money, and that's what Congress cares about. Congress is like, wait a minute, there's this money being spent that Congress doesn't know about. That's I, I think that's how you'll correct me because you know that's how it all started. I have read so, this. There, uh-huh. there is a missing like what is it like 180 million or something like that? 80 billion? I don't know. It was, it was some abstract number that's missing couldn't be accounted for now it was said that it couldn't be accounted for but i if i have heard conversations and i'm just not on abstract podcasts but i've listened to cnn on a few different things and they're like it can be accounted for in these receipts that we have for these organizations it's like okay Mm -hmm. why was that spent though in the first place and why didn't you know about it why did you tell everyone that you didn't know about it yeah, it's like it's great that you know now. Maybe, maybe that's. I mean, that's what your explanation is about it. But is that really what happened? It's like, what? What's the real thing? Why did you have to? Where did the money go? And why did it all of a sudden end up here? And you didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, that's so like that's I, a convenient explanation. Just people saying. are gonna think like I'm a big conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Like I, I'm really not. Like I, I'm more agnostic when it comes to that. If that makes sense. But like here, here's what's been been known like so because again i watched this because i thought it was interesting i also didn't have anything better to do they -hmm. they were literally testifying saying i don't know i don't remember where he worked for if it was the pentagon i should probably know that if i'm saying this stuff but or if it was the military whatever but he was testifying that money was actively being spent towards these uap programs without permission he was also saying that or hinted, he, he used the word non-human biologics. Yeah, that's I what, recall that. That's what I latched on to. Not meaning it was necessarily like a pilot, but there was some kind of non-human element. You know, I, and I always find it funny about these types of theories and folks like, I'm going to consider it folks like you and me. I think we're probably pretty similar in the fact that we see something amalgamous and there's no answers for it. That's why it's so fascinating. But we also see humans acting really weird around a particular subject or things that are happening. And it's just like, even if it wasn't anything to do with UFOs, human biologics or anything like that, and I just saw these people acting this way around anything, that's still cause for question. It's like, what's going uh-huh. on? It's like this this is still weird and fishy behavior. So it's like, I guess maybe it's that I'm the type of person who's looking on a macro level at all these different occurrences happening where it's like, that's where conspiracy theories come from. It's like you see all these things and you draw your own conclusion. That's conspiracy theory. What's another theory you have? What's another conspiracy theory? Oh, that's what you subscribe to. That I subscribe to. That I'm interested in because I don't (laughs) subscribe to any. That's a better way to phrase it. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by conspiracy theories, mostly because it's a type of storytelling. And 
it, it's a storytelling based on truths and half truths and non truths, and it's a puzzle. And I just find puzzles. It's almost like re- reading. A, and this is such a mm-hmm. back in the day. It's like, That's a good callback. Do you want to go this way or that way? It's like, do I want to research this part of the UAP thing or that part of the UAP thing? What what other ones do I like to subscribe in? I love like uh, cryptozoology and things of that nature. And I live in the Pacific I need you to Northwest. define that for us. Cryptozoology? Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to explain it uh, more scientifically. It's things that don't exist that could be animals or... Uh, some kind of biologic <laughs> so with my uh, very my very basic understanding of of latin so basically it's the study of things that aren't known kind of is that what it's saying i think so the things that aren't known aren't seen aren't uh recorded uh things of that nature Alrighty. and whether that's and, and, cryptozoology being a thing that looks at it, it's not just looking at science fiction it's not just looking at mythology and folklore and things like that but it's also looking at just human experience i always find human experience to be the only reliable thing and unreliable thing when it comes to cryptozoology but the i i think the coolest part out of the human fascination with cryptozoology is the artwork that comes from it because a lot of the things that people create around what these things they see in the night look like is just fascinating to me i mean uh jersey devil bigfoot uh Mm -hmm. all all the chupacabra like these are all like the top of the ones that always come up and they make tv shows about but there's all sorts of on the on like the jfk level yeah uh, political conspiracy theories there's so many of them it's ridiculous and then there's local conspiracy theories like mole people living <laughs> in, in the sewers <laughs> around your city and stuff Pizza like that gate. yeah like seriously <laughs> like there's there's creepy stuff like that and then there's the realities of like pe- <laughs> that you walk away from conspiracy theories which are creepy and scary in their own then you talk about reality of people who are doomsday preppers and people who own arsenals and people who own underground storage bunkers that are vast and massive and could potentially store humans that they gather from the surface like there are scary people who live amongst us right now that are just going to costco and buying stuff and you don't even know how scary they are it's, it's like ron swanson from the last of us and he, he oh, was right yeah. oh, god i love him so much oh yeah. but okay so my spouse was like, I'm not going to let you watch this episode because I know that you're just going to cry all over me. And oh like, my I, God. Yeah. I know I'm going to cry. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. And then I love Nick Offerman. I love Ron Swanson. I mean, big, big parks and rec forever. But when it came to watching that and I got in that episode, you get to see the, their whole life play out yeah. essentially from when he meet his, meets his partner, their relationships develop it's like you get to, it's a whole beautiful story. I didn't cry over that. It was pretty I was beautiful. Stopping. I was just like, no, this is a beautiful silver bow on the end of a, a very tragic time. And it's like a tragic yeah. time with a beautiful story. It's like, I'm not going to cry about this. I thought it was beautiful. Was I sad that they died? But yeah, of course I was. They were old, though. They were super yeah. old. <laughs> I mean, they I lived just, out it wasn't, their life. They weren't bit like by to, zombies. It, but it was so real. 
like I don't cry at like the zombies and shit. People can die like, but that that was like a life story. Like you, you know that it just ugh, and you, that got and me and my boyfriend were sobbing. Yeah. You do not get to see enough true emotional intimate gay relationships on. I mean, not just on television in the past. Still, you don't get to see real intimate relationships between people who are in the LGBTQIP community unless you're going to Freeform or a channel who's specifically designated for the <laughs> uh-huh. queer people. It's mm-hmm. like if I knew that there was a specific channel before designated for the queer people, I would have been over there before. But why not just change all this content to be inclusive for everyone else over here? It's like Jesus. And they did it really they did it really well. They did they did a, a queer, gay, whatever you want to call it, relationship really well. Meaning one actor happened to be gay, Murray Bart, something like that. I'm saying mm-hmm. he's in White Lotus, he's in tons of great stuff, that actor. And then they had Nick Offerman, who's, you know, who, he's not gay. But, like, he, he paid respect to it. It, it, it. He treated it really well. So you had one gay actor who's actually gay, playing a gay character. You had one who's not. And they treated it, it was just a relationship. And ugh, it was so good. The more and more I've heard from Nick Offerman and interviews and things of that nature, man, one, one day I hope I get to meet him and just sit down and have a conversation because I would just want to have a bullshit conversation with him. I want, I want to talk to him about his career. I don't want to talk to him about him because everything that I've, from him and Megan Mullally and the... Mm-hmm awesome weird twisted beautiful crazy (laughs) little relationship they've had for decades it's like that's what i aspire to that kind of awesome weirdness as a relationship but everything that i've heard from him is he looks at sexuality in such a fluid way and he's like i'm just not going to put a label on i'm like then you're operating not as a straight man mister and you don't have to say it out loud and that's completely fine but it's like the way you communicate about things and the way you view sexuality makes me view you in a different way, which is a lot more open-minded and accepting and loving. And he's not your typical white guy with a mustache who's like, queers, what? Like I grew up, mm-hmm. I, grew up I grew up with those people. I, I grew yeah. up in a very, very rural, very farm, farm town kind of a place. So uh, when it comes to homophobia and worse, I've I've uh, I've seen my share. So you never saw I, any of the I, UFOs in in the rural areas. No, it's it's really funny that you say that. I've never saw any actual UFOs. I've had uh, people I've known take video, very unreliable video. Well, usually they're drones or like Skynet or yes, like a plane. Exactly or... that. The only thing I love are clouds. I, I love the sky and I love clouds, and I've always been fascinated. Uh, so I've always loved to draw clouds and stuff like that. My cat's name is Nimbostratus. That's the name of a cloud type. I call him Nim. Um, See, I think of Harry Potter, the Nimbus 3000. And then I'm like, exactly. oh, yeah, Cumulonimbus, like all the clouds and stuff. Okay, exactly. Yeah. There's a theme. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you want to meet Ron Swanson. Uh, I understand you met a few famous bands, people. But get into your, your your music part, the podcast, or it was a show, rather. Radio. It, was before, it was a radio show, right? It was not a radio show. I had a blog. Okay. Uh, very very yeah blog very very temporarily short-lived podcast we put out several uh compilations from bands uh across the pacific northwest everyone contributed a song and we put it out and get music awareness for everyone um 
and I have been associated with PDX Pop Now, which is uh, an organization that supports Portland public schools music programs. So I've been on the listening committee and judge for their uh, compilation every single year for the past decade, a little over a decade, where I get to hear what they do uh, as far as putting to their compilation, and they get thousands of submissions. So a lot of cool listening. I get to hear all the new music from the Pacific Northwest, like literal kids in their garage down the street making stuff. But it's like these kids are doing the next thing, and I get to listen to it. And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in your in your bio that you sent to me, I saw you you you, you talked to Newfound Glory at one point. Silver, yes. I love Newfound Glory. Silver from Pickups. There's a bunch of them you listed. I, I I did have a few uh, run-ins with some more famous folks. It was really cool. I got to be a part of a few different press junkets, uh, nice. being able to talk to bands. So Silver and Sun Pickups, I got to sit next to their guitarists and their lead singer and just sit there and chat about the equipment they use. And I mean, they're just really, really chill guys. And then there's people like, I got to talk to Fat Mike from No Effects for a little while, and Fat Mike mm-hmm. is a chill guy while being absolutely crazy insane at the same time. And it's just like (laughs) being in his presence while he's going, drinking a beer over here. And then he's just yelling at people over here for no reason. While it just being a going to punk rock shows or being backstage and interviewing people at more high energy places can be difficult, but it's also more fun. Uh, and if you expect any of your recording equipment to record an interview to work, not going to happen. I hope you can write really quickly. So uh, things like that. But yes, yeah, I got to I got to meet a, a few cool folks like that. Um, who, who else did I say? I know that I mentioned oh, I one more person. I mean, I was a big like so. I went in like middle school, high school. I went from like emo music to indie music, and like mm. I exclusively listened to to indie almost. Um, the and you know like now I, I have a pretty diverse. I, I was in a, like few different screamo bands uh, in from about two thousand four to two thousand seven. Did a little bit of touring. Uh, our biggest break was uh, opening up for Taking Back Sunday for like, no way. Yeah. It was pretty freaking sweet. So we got to hang out with those guys who were just so mellow, loved drugs at the time. One of the guys was <laughs> was straight edge. And he's just like, you want some drugs? It's <laughs> just like, no, you're straight edge. You shouldn't be offered. He's like, I'm straight edge. It's like, I can offer them. I don't have to take them. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. That's cool. Uh, How really... is he live? I've heard, I've heard some things about them live, taking back Sunday. Oh, that they sound like shit? So I didn't want to say it like that because I wasn't trying to friendly, but like I've heard that in the more recent years, like, and like you have to give it to him. He's not a teenager with an emo voice oh, anymore. No, but I just heard he, that. You can't sing the same <laughs> octaves that you can scream when you're 18, 19, 20 yeah. than when you're 40 or 45. <laughs> I can attest yeah. to that because I could scream at one point in time and I cannot do that anymore. <laughs> um yes on on stage i thought his performance was always he's so freaking full of energy and like freaking out and dancing around and stuff and like leaning into the audience so much you think you're he's gonna fall off stage and it's just like you're doing antics that i'm not even comfortable with attempting so uh the actual performance i mean when i was there 
they let's just say this i was looking at professional musicians doing it and i still had the imposter syndrome so i thought it was amazing i was no one to judge but if i was to be in the audience at that point in time i'd be like this is a little blown out i think they could do a little better on the drums it's like being a musician myself and an audio engineer it's like i know what the problems are here i know why he's not sounding bad or sounding bad and i also know you know after a few discussions with the guy you know on the road he's not doing the thing he should be doing which is drinking lemon and tea for that freaking right throat of his he's just throwing down sodas and i'm like you're not gonna last you're not gonna last that bo- all those beautiful vocals you have not gonna last also that pretty face that's not gonna last either not with all those drugs so, so. As, an, as an audio engineer <laughs> when you watch movies or or tv shows do you notice when yes. they do like adr or sound like does it ruin your your yes okay. absolutely no my, my boyfriend's my boyfriend's a cinematographer so like we'll be watching something i'll be he'll be like oh the lighting here or like where's that light coming from or the so sound knowing, has to be the same thing knowing any parts of the business of entertainment ruins <laughs> ruins entertainment uh-huh. in one way or another i mean it's not completely but uh yeah and and even with TV shows, knowing where someone's doing like an overdub for a particular scene or something, and you can tell by this person's echo in the room when they're talking to this person, but this person sounds like like they're face up to a mic. And it's just like, man, that really just took me out of the scene. I know they could have redone that in a way where they could have done the redub on set and got the same sound of the room, but I'm sure they were pulled for time. And then I come up with like explanations in my mind because I'm and they might not have nice had, had an expensive. They might have not be paying a sound guy to actually do the sound right. That's like, exactly right. It's like you never know what folks. It's like even folks putting out like things that are on NBC, like big time money behind it kind of stuff. Like even for things like back in the day, Parks and Rec. It's like they'd have a single camera, a boom mic, go out to a mm-hmm. location, and it's like what they got is what they got, and it, like a lot of that show if you especially if you look at the first couple seasons it's like it's such found found footage looking well they were trying to be the office too exactly and and yeah. and it was a feel a look and feel of the time too and it's like you can't go and watch that with the mind of man they should have done it this way or that way it's like no you're you're watching this because this is a documentary crew going out and xyz mm-hmm. you're getting the feel for what they want you to feel which is this isn't completely all planned out and uh we're just gonna fly by the seat of our pants writing that is hard i'm sure writing something yeah. that looks like it's genuinely a documentary and this is just happening i have, <laughs> I, have an, I have one question to to end though and it's sure i just talking to you it's pretty clear seeing your experience too it's you've done an amazing job i think of taking your technical plus your creative aspects and kind of finding the right puzzle solving role aspect while still doing all the other stuff in your in your in your side or free time what advice would you have to somebody who might not know what they want to do next and it doesn't need to be necessarily marketo or tech stack or because like there's tons of people right now who are trying to get something in the job market and don't know where to go what what advice would you have well the the advice i usually have is do something that doesn't make you unhappy now my former self would have uh said that much more harshly i I would have said do do something that doesn't make you want to unalive yourself in the morning (laughs) to use the 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 nomenclature of today place of true peace and inner balance and that's very buddhist but i 
really like Buddhism, not a not religious person, but when it comes to having a deeper understanding of where you are, it has a lot more to do with who you are and not, and a lot less to do with your work. So I say focus more on you and focus a lot less on what you want to do. And once you want to mm-hmm. know about who you are, it's probably a lot more likely you're going to have a better idea of where you want to go from there. And even if you don't still, then there's always the best word in the world, which is try, try new things. And if you don't try new things, you're going to stay where you are. And if yeah. you're happy with that, great. Fuck you then. <laughs> stay where you are. But if you want to actually do something more, try. Try is important. Mm-hmm. Even when you're sad, try. Try a new food when you're sad. That changes your mind. I've, I've tried that. Trying something new when you're in a place where you feel like you don't want to try stuff can sometimes be really invigorating. You're just like, oh, screw this. I just want to watch the same TV show that I'm comfortable with. I want to watch it over mm-hmm. and over again. I'm going to mainline <laughs> Parks and Rec. I'm going to live under the covers. And I don't want to do anything. But I am also going to order from Postmates. And I'm going to order from this new Thai place that I've never ordered from before. And, huh, I've never tried this dish before. That could start you on a whole new path. I'm not saying that's going to change your brain chemistry and you're not going to be depressed. Go to a therapist for that. Yes. (laughs) You might need medication. I do. And I'm glad that I have it. Same. But yeah, yeah, it's very, very important. But when it comes down to the advice I ever give, it's not job advice I ever give. It's it's life advice. Yeah. I I only, uh, I have a kid. I have a kid of two and a half years and she's the most amazing thing. That's what my necklace is for. I have an F on here for my daughter, Fern. Um, but I, I keep thinking to myself, uh, if I was to te- give her advice in the future for not necessarily how to be happy, but to be in a place where things felt more balanced and she felt like she was in a place of uh, safety and uh structure that she could try new things then i think that's a brilliant place to be so if you're looking at your life and you're not seeing those foundational things as a human for you if you don't feel safe you don't feel happy you don't feel all those things something needs to change something needs to change and why sit there and just feel miserable all the time that's for the boomers a lot of them (laughs) like to do that they just sit there and feel miserable they they're like there's no one can help me with this and it's like there's lots of people who can help you with this. It's about you wanting help for yourself, though, and you got to make the first move. So, but that's a generational thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, but solid advice. Uh, but again, I can talk to you all day. But before we wrap, I always like to give the guests a chance to shout things out. Uh, anything you want to call out or shout before we wrap? I've already shouted out PDX Pop now. Please check it out. Get their new um, PDX Pop now. PDXPopNow.com. Portland something. Is that what it stands uh, for? Uh, PDX, the, the PDX is the Portland airport. That's this oh. uh, thing that's been given. And then everyone <laughs> around town has a, adopted PDX as an abbreviation for Portland. Mm-hmm. So, so PDX. PDX pop now, it's not just pop music. It's everything between hip hop, techno, punk, uh, new wave, old wave, metal, jazz literally everyone's submitting all sorts of shit these days and it's just amazing so check it out the other person i'm recommending is is my spouse my wife jade sheldon look her up on instagram jade uh uh, her handle is at jade melissa sheldon on instagram uh she's a brilliant artist photographer she's the love of my life but talking about her professionally go check her workout she's amazing she has she, she has 
some of the most incredible experience that I've I've had the chance to be able to work with her on projects uh, as not just like a spouse, but someone who's actually doing project management and stuff with her. And like, she's the coolest person to work with. And it's not just because she's my spouse and she likes me. She's very hard on me and it's good, but she's one of the coolest people to work with. And I, I, I think everyone should uh, not just check out her artwork and check out her photography, but get to know her. She's just a really cool person. And uh, DM her on Instagram because she's cool to talk to. She's just a... Yeah, especially if you're in the Portland area, if you need a photographer, artist, background actress, uh, definitely slide there into those DMs. Corey, thanks. Corey, thanks so much for being on. Also, follow Corey on LinkedIn as well. Please and do. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and thank you all for listening. I'll see you for another episode of Lead to Be next time. Enjoying Lead to Be? Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews go a long way in supporting me. Thank you so much.